Even industry professionals in the field of technology can get overwhelmed with the amount of information there is to learn and digest regarding artificial intelligence. Sometimes you need a non-technical introduction to get you to a point of understanding. And that is what our guest has provided. From Vivid Machines, I am Cassie Turkstra, and you are listening to Vivid Machines Variety. Hello, everyone. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined with Tom Tolley. Tom has years of experience as an author, investor, speaker, and advisor. He's a notable writer for Forbes, as well as has co-founded a variety of different companies. Not to mention, he's also written several books, including Artificial Intelligence Basics, A Non-Technical Introduction. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah. So uh, when I was first hired on here at Vivid Machines as the Business Development Associate, I was giving your book, Artificial Intelligence Basics, to provide me with an understanding of what Vivid Machines was working on. And I got to say, as someone who had zero previous experience with AI, your book was super helpful. Yeah, thanks very much. Can you tell me a bit about what motivated you to write it? Yeah, so it came out uh, sometime in 2019. It took about eight or nine months to to write the book. And uh, I've written books, like you mentioned, in the past. Um, so kind of familiar with the process. They, they, do, they do take time and research, but it was a lot of fun to, to write it. But the, the, the inspiration for the book was more about talking to entrepreneurs. And I would notice sometimes that when they would talk about artificial intelligence, they weren't quite, they weren't consistent or sometimes they would mix things up. I thought if, if tech people and founders kind of had some issues with this, I, I can't imagine what those who don't have technical backgrounds, their problems would be. And as, as artificial intelligence has gotten more you know, prevalent, more, non-net, more non-technical people are getting involved in these projects, business managers and project man, uh, product managers and so forth. And they, they, need, they don't necessarily need to know Python or a PhD or a data scientist. But they do need to know the basics. And when I looked at the market for the book, I thought there'd be a lot of these books out there. And at that time, and since then, you've seen more of those books. But when I wrote, when I started writing the book, there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, much out there uh, on this for non-technical people. The books tended to be either uh, very technical, and then the, the other part of the spectrum was more about AI is going to take over the world and oh yeah (laughs) which are kind of fun fun books nothing but the middle I thought there was a void yeah so I thought I'd write write the book and like I said it was a lot of fun and um the reception has been really good and um you know it, it seems like it's helped a lot of people oh yeah it's been super helpful for I know a lot of members of our team it's hard to find like you said it's really hard to find books that avoid the math and the algorithms and the really intense complicated stuff that I would not be able to understand so <laughs> yeah and you mentioned in a video actually on your website that you believe it's really important especially in today's climate to learn and understand parts of the field however some of the terms make it really daunting kind of like you said so would you mind giving our listeners and myself just a brief introduction on key terms that get thrown around a lot like machine learning ai deep learning sort of thing yeah well ai gets thrown over thrown around a lot all the time yeah <laughs> all the time. a lot of companies say they have it I'm, I'm not sure 
you know, how many of them really do have it. And, and, and AI, I think, is a misleading term because because of Hollywood and uh, Term- Terminator and these great movies and robots that seem like humans. And we're, we're, that, that's what is known as strong, strong AI. Yes. That's, that's where we can't. Uh, Turing is this great British mathematician who came up with the Turing test and said, if you talk to some, a, you know, something and you think it's a human, then you've reached AI. And we're not there yet. And we're probably not going to be there for a long time. I mean, still the driving car is still having problems with that. So it's yeah, true, but that misconception. <laughs> <laughs> so we're at what is known as weak, weak AI. And that is AI for a specific purpose. Um, and uh, you mentioned agriculture, you know, your, your company's in agriculture. Yeah. So that would be an example of weak. It does Call it weak AI doesn't mean it's bad AI. It just means it's it's focused on a certain category. So you're you're focusing it on agriculture. There's companies that focus on healthcare or understanding people and the way they talk and things like that. So um, we're at the weak AI stage. Now AI is a so so I say AI is this broad term that includes strong AI and weak AI, and we're now at the weak AI. Below that. There are these different categories. So you have machine learning, and then under that, there will be deep learning. So machine learning is more the traditional AI that goes way back to the 50s. And, you know, stuff like computers that learn how to play chess, um, learn how to understand certain words, things like that. And it uses a lot of statistics and complicated math. Um, so that would be more of the traditional machine learning. Mm-hmm. And then deep learning. It's, it's been around actually since the 50s, but it's grown in popularity during the last 10, 12 years because of a lot of advances in machine capability, uh, access to data, and some theoretical concepts that have come out. And basically what it has is this really complicated neural network that kind of acts a little like a brain. Uh, data comes into it. Uh, lots of lots of math is, you know, different layers and hidden layers. And, and at, at the other end, there's some insight. Uh, and, and a lot of times it's a black box. We're not even too sure why this answer has come out. A lot of times that answer is, turns out to be correct. Yeah. Um, and so when deep learning came out, there were these tests about image recognition. And uh, when, when Hinton and some of the top, which actually from Canada, a lot of the top people from AI started, you know, taking advantage of this, the accuracy rates really started to jump. Okay. And and so deep learning has proved at least at least for recognition and voice recognition, visual, you know, videos and stuff like that. It's it's been really monumental change. And then you have other categories like natural language processing, uh, uh, NLP, um, that you know for understanding voices. So you have all these different types of categories uh, in there, but it all comes under the umbrella of AI, but I do think a lot of times there's where a lot of the, the confusion is is about machine learning and deep learning. Just think of deep learn, think of machine learning as encompass as is encompassing encompassing part of deep learning. It's a part of you know part of machine learning is deep learning, but there are other categories too that you can also include there. But um, but it's a, more of a specialized look at how you use deep uh, machine learning. Mm-hmm. But yeah, all the categories are connected and yeah, subconnected, exactly. all branching off each other. Yeah, and it's true what you said about how 
it gets thrown around a lot. And so those terms get more and more confusing. So thank you for that. Uh, You kind of touched upon this a bit, but in your book, you have a whole section in the beginning designated to the history of artificial intelligence. I'm doing the grouping thing, Um, (laughs) including the golden age of AI and the Turing test. But do you find that this foundational understanding is important in understanding current practices? Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, uh, I think the history of, I'm a history buff, not, not just for <laughs> me too, <laughs> but you know, world war two or, you know, you know, your wars in Europe and the middle ages. I mean, I love all that stuff. So, Oh yeah. It's so cool uh, to learn about. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just love history and I thought, um, putting, putting this into context, there's a couple of reasons why I put the history chapter in there. And I think part of it is some context about, you know, this is something that just hasn't has somehow emerged in on the, the grand stage of technology in the last five years or 10 mm-hmm. years. We like to think of these concepts as new, but again, neural networks were, were thought about in the fifties. Wow. That's uh, you crazy. know, when, when, when computers were just getting started, mm-hmm. I mean, computers didn't do a lot in those days. And yet, these computer, brilliant computer scientists were already thinking about these these concepts. So a lot of what we are doing today has been thought about before. It's just that we now have much more power to make it a reality. On those days, it just you couldn't do it. It's just the, the processing power, the data just wasn't there. Mm-hmm. But, but now we, we have that. I'm just going to kind of go into the deep learning chapter that we talked about a bit. So I would love to talk about explainability, but before we do that, I'm going to give a definition on what a neural network is for our listeners. A neural network is an AI algorithm that functions a little bit like a brain would. It processes information by receiving an input, for example, an image, then uses large networks of simple processing units or neurons to generate an output or a prediction such as being able to predict that the image is a picture of a cat. This type of system has proven itself to be very helpful in several different industries. However, one of the challenges is that we don't necessarily understand how the results are being generated in these hidden networks. Tom, can you talk a bit about the concept of explainability? Yeah, there, there's a move to, to, with this idea of explainability to come up with technologies to explain why these models are coming up with the answers that they're coming up with. This is, oh, really, okay. this is really important for regulated industries in healthcare. I mean, if some system tells me I have cancer. Oh, well, how is it getting to that conclusion? <laughs> I, want, I want to know. I want to know. Or if, if I went to a bank and I applied for a loan and they denied me, I want to, I want to know why. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> or I, I went for a job and they use AI. I want to know why I, I didn't get that job. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're it all raises all these questions. So explainability is a very important part of this puzzle. And so you're seeing companies emerge to, to help to help deal with that. Um, so that's basic. I mean, I mean, you know, there's something called backpropagation, which Hinton came up with. And there's all these technical things. Yeah, but, but for the most part, it's just like you have data, you assign some weightings to it. Oh, and the other mm-hmm. thing, too, is in the matching, uh, this is the other problem is data labeling. And for our listeners... Let's quickly define what labeling is. Labeling essentially means having a human tell a computer what a piece of data is. For example, I could go in and label several pictures of cats so that the computer can begin to recognize what a cat image looks like on its own and be able to differentiate between a cat and a dog, for example. 
Okay, back to you, Tom. Um, you know, to, to get the right matching, you have to label the data correctly, but a lot of data is unstructured. It doesn't come with a label. If I have CRM data, a lot of it is kind of structured data, but if I have videos or I don't know if this is a cat or this is a dog or whatever, um, then one of the big problems nowadays is, is, is labeling the data so we can measure the accuracy of these models. So companies like Scale AI have seen a lot of growth because of this data labeling problem. Oh, yeah. People yeah. coming in to fix it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, deep learning to some extent, does some, some of these may not need labeling and may figure it out on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could be, that's another potential benefit of AI or uh, deep learning is, you know, you, but still for the most, for a lot of companies, labeling is, is kind of one of the, the bottlenecks uh, when it comes to effective models. Have you seen any examples of applications of AI in agriculture that you found particularly interesting? Um, I had an opportunity to talk to the chief technology officer at Deere. Oh, cool. The, the, the tractor company. Yeah. Uh, about, and he is uh, very much uh, a, bull, a bull on um, on AI. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I don't have the numbers on the top of my head, but uh, a typical tractor with the sensors and the data capability, I mean, the amount of data Deere collects is out of this world. Yeah. It's, 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 it's incredible. I mean, so, and that's the key. I mean, you need data, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you need good data, high quality data. So they spend a lot of time on on data at, at Deere. Um, so that that's the first thing you want. You want a good data infrastructure, labeling. You know, all that has to be figured out. And then you then you look at what can we do to leverage this data. They've been really at the forefront of leveraging their data and finding ways to to use that. To part of it is to improve costs. Efficiency. I mean, that, that tends to be, you know, I mean, we, we, may, we may talk a lot about sustainability, but I think a lot of businesses still think about lowering costs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's at the <laughs> forefront. <laughs> so, so I think a lot of when it comes to this is really about the business proposition mm-hmm. or the, the narrow business proposition and what the business outcomes are. But, uh, but, but if yeah, you can you do both. That, <laughs> yeah, you can, you know, get, you know, have your cake and eat it too. Exactly. So, yeah. So I think, yeah, these kind of, and I haven't, I haven't looked at a lot of agriculture applications, but talking to deer, I could tell, and they're just scratching the surface with this. It's, it's, they know that they're, they're in the early stages, you know, and, and there's a lot to be done. Yeah. That kind of leads me into my last question, actually. Yeah. So mm-hmm. to farmers who are interested in the potential benefits of integrating some tech into their farm. What are some foundational concepts that they need to know or like can start with learning in order to move forward with that? Yeah. So the first, in the the book, I have a whole chapter on data. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, you know, everyone wants to look at the the algorithms and the fancy algorithms. (laughs) Jump right there. (laughs) They're right there. Yeah. The reality is that a lot of those algorithms are open source. They're free. They were developed years ago. Now, there, mm-hmm. there are proprietary algorithms, but a lot of them are like guys like Hinton, you know, wrote papers about them. And they didn't, they didn't copyright them or anything like that. Yep. So anyone, they, they encourage people to use them. They wanted people to use them for free. Um, so 
which the place the best place to start is your data. So look at what what data do you have available? What data are you creating? Okay. So I don't know with your tractors or any type of sensors that you have, figure out inventory that you know create some dashboards and figure out the, the data to work through. But that's that's a great opportunity because a startup or a company is about solving problems. Exactly. And tough and it, problems, not easy problems. If they were easy, we figure them out. So exactly, but I, someone's got to do it. Someone's got to tackle it. Exactly. <gasps> mm-hmm. And uh, and I think maybe the final thing about AI too is the education is important because people can distrust certain things. You know, if I'm a farmer, I'm thinking I've been in this business for 40 years. I know what's going on. It's yeah. Like, why would I need it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so why is this data scientist going to tell me what I what you know how my farm should operate? Exactly. And then you hear numbers about how much food waste you could possibly yeah. reduce. And then you start to see that benefit. But it's true that yeah. the education aspect of it is really important. Yeah. yeah. I think you really good point there about showing the, the clear cut benefits of the technology, food waste being one. Um, and if you can demonstrate that to someone. Exactly. You know, yeah. So that's a lot easier way to get them on board. Mm-hmm, it's true. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time today. Uh, Is there anything you wanted to add before we left off? Uh, No, I think I covered quite a bit here. It's been a great conversation. And uh, I guess the the only thing I can add here is that it's just amazing, you know, so many areas where AI can be applied. It's true. talking about agriculture here, but there's just, it's virtually anywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, As long as you have data, you have the data. You got data, you can do anything. (laughs) Pretty much you can do anything. And there are the tools and models and systems that, that can help help people with this stuff. Yeah. It's so true. And th- you know what? Thank you so much for taking the time to come on here today. Your book was such a huge help in providing me that working foundation of the field. And I look forward to possibly connecting in the future. Sounds great. And uh, good luck to everybody. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Okay, you too. 